We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall, joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ellis. John, how are you? Happy New um, Year, by the way. Happy New Year, Billy. It's good to be back with you, man. And uh, thanks to everybody out there that's been patient with us. We've had crazy schedules and uh, work out the rear end for both of us here. But as things you know die down here in terms of the Panthers' season... Uh, man, it's heating up in terms of a coaching search, GM search, a lot of news around the league, and can't wait to get into it with you, man. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it, it's that time of the year. We had one of these last year that we covered. We did a GM search in 2021 after our first season. So uh, we are not immune to these type of searches, as yeah. they say. But before we get into that, I do want to wrap up the 2023 season um, because it kind of ended in a very tumultuous and turbulent way. Um, Go back three games ago. I mean, the offense produced arguably one of the best performances that we've seen in the past three or four years. And all of that came crashing down the next two weeks where they didn't get shut out for you know over two decades or two decades it was 2002 i think it was our previous last shutout and then they get shut out two games in a row um i mean yeah this this entire experience has been just a complete debacle and john i've been saying it for months i just think this owner is way in over his head and he does not have any sense of control you saw that when he threw a drink at a fan from his suite. I mean, I I, do, I want to get your thoughts on the owner for his behavior, because that just reeks of not only just incompetence, but I mean, I'm not asking you to be like the best well-behaved person, but, you know, a little self-control for a man his age would be appreciated no yeah uh that you talk about some of the low points in franchise history and obviously there's been some stuff that has been bad i can think back to the ray caruth incident uh obviously the death of fred lane uh the the game that i was at that sort of mirrored this feeling was back in the 98 season and i thought that was a shit show of a season in contrast at least that team was winning some games down the stretch um 
and and there was some sense of hope they would get a good head coach to follow. But that '98 season, remember, that's when the late great Kevin Green got into it with Kevin Steele on the sideline in that choking incident. And I remember being like four rows up from that in the pouring rain, thinking this has got to be the worst moment in franchise history. Well, little did I know that there would be many more of these kind of feelings to come. Now, I had no idea what this fan said to Tepper, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're an owner. You're in an open luxury box area. You know that's the cost of doing business when you're an owner on the road. He's not the first owner to have to deal with whatever was said to him, and he won't be the last. And, it, yeah, it was very disheartening. In the middle of a blowout game where the offense looked terrible and the fans are trying to cling on to some sense of hope, the optics were awful just awful and you know i i don't have much more to add than that it was embarrassing and no, I, I think it's it's a reflection of you know i don't want to get too philosophical here but man we've been doing this podcast now since 2020 and you talk about just the the philosophical ups and downs with this owner and the inconsistencies that moment sort of encapsulated the frustrating feelings we've had dating back to when we started this podcast, you know, from the time that he and Marty Herney were parked out in Waco in the driveway of Matt Rule's house, uh, waiting for him, giving him the most money they could to, to make the Giants walk away and the decisions that were made thereafter and the, the Rock Hill debacle and just so much. And, you know, look, I, I cover this team for the, the Panthers flagship station, but I've told you over the years and, and you know me, I'm not going to hold back. And it was an embarrassing moment. And, He's got to do a lot of self-reflection. He said he was going to do that, and then this happened. And uh, at the end of the day, it's time to start winning. It, it really is. And this stuff gets amplified to the nth degree when you're a perpetual losing franchise. He's been here since 2018, zero winning seasons. God, how many coaches now when you count interims? I can't even keep track. Way too many. Way too much turnover. And now uh, there's a void at general manager. So, and and Scott, you know, here's what I'll say about Fitter. We'll get into the discussion about his performance here. Um, people are kind of piling on Scott for not doing more in the booth there. I, I, I'll give him a pass there. I don't think there's much you could do when the second richest owner in the NFL has got a cup in his hand and he's playing Splash Mountain with the fans. I think he was just kind of like, they just kind of know a little bit about Scott that I know. It's just like, shit, my God, what is this mess I'm in the middle of here? And uh, yeah, the optics sucked. They were terrible. I did actually go to the individual's um, Instagram, the individual who recorded it from her suite. Um, she posted a longer video and essentially what she, again, I'm not getting into hearsay, but her title was like the fans were just throwing up L's at Tepper's suite. And I think, again, fans say crazy things all the time, but the fact that there were other individuals in that suite with him that we can see, um, there was a there was a gentleman kind of like at the bottom, and then there was Scott Fitter, and yeah. just their reaction told me that it wasn't kind of it didn't break any grounds. It just yeah. it it looked like just regular fan banter, so that's what kind of gave me the indication that this owner has just decided to go completely rogue and 
I don't know. Well, I mean, and this this goes back way. to what happened, you know, again, after I think it was the Bears game where I think Sheena Marie and uh, or Sheena Quick, I'm sorry, and Joe Person had um, had reported, among others, that Tepper was dropping F-bombs. Titans right game. Outside the locker room. Yeah, lot, yeah. I mean, Titans game, yeah. I can't keep track of how many bad offensive performances this team had this year. They're all blend together. But that that was another moment where it's just like, this is who you're dealing with right now. And um, it it it's an embarrassment. And until you start winning and you're able to take a back seat and prevent these moments from happening, because obviously he's a very volatile individual in terms of, um, you know, his, his level of patience coming down to the fans even and, and pouring water or whatever the hell that was in that cup. You don't do that. You just don't do it. Yeah. Especially in post COVID world. It's crazy. Oh, all of it just, and it's just, you know, and I don't want to get into, you know, making this into something criminal, but, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, some people could view this as assault. And I think there was probably a lot of PR work and a lot of legal stuff done maybe behind the scenes to, to maybe prevent that from becoming an escalated issue. Because if I've got the second wealthiest owner in professional football, pouring a drink on me, I'm going Paul Pearson rolling out of there in a wheelchair. (laughs) It was awful, Billy. And, you know, you know some guys from Jacksonville. So do I. That's a decent fan base. Those are good folks down there. This is not like going to some trash fan base in some market where the fans are just ruthlessly brutal. So if you can't take a little heat in Jacksonville, just shut the windows on the suite. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like if they really said something abhorrent, then, I mean, you are one of the richest men on the planet you have private security bring them in to handle it there's stadium security have them handle it that's why him just going out of the blue to do this is just i don't know now let's get your thoughts here on this offensive performance the last three games because you left the green bay game very encouraged with the production with uh, you know, that was probably exactly what everyone wanted to see from this quarterback um, and just putting it all together. And sure, there's going to be people coming back at us and caveating, oh, Joe Barry, Joe, Joe Barry this, Joe Barry that. But I saw Joe Barry the past two weeks hold two pretty good offenses in Chicago and Green Bay to uh, pretty pedestrian numbers. So for all the, you know, angst that some people have had about the offense, it's certainly performed well in that setting against the Packers. Um, and I mean, the Packers had their own issues with local guy from Charlotte, Jair Alexander doing the coin toss. And then um, <laughs> <laughs> I loved him by the way. Coming I out love that. Yeah. It's... yeah. <laughs> Matt LaFleur um, wasn't too happy about it, but that, that I, I was at that game covering. I had no idea that was an issue until afterwards. I don't think anybody did, but that was, that story was nuts. Um and then obviously the the last two games, uh, I mean the Jacksonville game, I would certainly put more on. Uh, I just think everything was bad operationally. Bryce didn't have a great game, I mean, but I mean the Tampa game. I mean kicker misses a field goal. Um, you know DJ Chark just. I mean that was just Come inexplicable. On. Come on. Um, so I don't necessarily think that Bryce played bad against the Bucks. I thought he was fine. I think the but. I just think it was a complete collapsing against Jacksonville. And then 
Um, you know, a lot of just boneheaded mistakes by this offense uh, week 18. But John, like, what can you tell me about kind of the offense going from the highs against Green Bay all the way to the lows by getting shut out in consecutive weeks in the year? Yeah, that was really disappointing. And, you know, I, I've heard evaluators talk about this before that you try to give your rookie quarterback about 20 starts to kind of see who he is and what he's all about. And I think we need to maybe think about that a little differently with Bryce because, you know, the situation was not great here this year. That Green Bay game was interesting because they got down. Um, the defense had a terrible time in the first half stopping the run. We'll we'll get to the defense in a little while because there's there's some question marks there I have, although statistically they finished well and they played their asses off at times. Uh, but but anyway, yeah, that was encouraging. And, and that loss, I was there, like I said, covering that game and uh, talking to Bryce and Chris Tabor and those guys and going to the locker room after the game. You know, you never got the sense all season long that the locker room was torn apart. There's some good poor guys in that room, starting with the quarterback, who are wise and mature beyond their years, and they handled this situation as gracefully as they could. There was really no division at all. But the, the problem is, you know, you have a game like that. To me, that felt as encouraging as any win they've had in a long time because you saw what this quarterback could do. You saw some of the spark within his game. And, you know, yeah, Joe Barry defense, I get that. But still, you look at the last couple of weeks, as you mentioned, that Packers defense has played well. So I came away from that game, even though it was a loss, and, you know, my son was with me, we were talking on the way home, we were kind of encouraged, like, yeah, you know, this is this is a positive sign. It doesn't mean that Chris Tabor is or should or will be the head coach because he's interviewed. I, I do, I have absolutely no doubt he won't be the next head coach and I admire the work he's done here but the the broader picture to me was operationally the offense looked very good down the stretch in crunch time and the quarterback had some huge moments including picking up I think 44 yards in two plays on that last drive and coming within you know a fraction of a second from giving Pinero its opportunity to kick a game time field goal I loved what I saw on tape from Bryce Young in that game. Tremendous poise and tremendous accuracy and placement. And everybody elevated their games along with him. Chark had his best game of the year. Thielen was great down the stretch. Uh, Trimble and, you know, everybody on the offense. Hubbard and, you know, the offensive line in that game, I thought for a team in the Packers that, that you know, statistically they're not great, but they have a lot of sacks this year. They did a good job down the stretch holding up considering they've played, what, 15, 16 different guards this year. Um, but, man, when you – I'm having a hard time evaluating this quarterback because there's been so much change. You come into the season with Josh McCown and Thomas Brown leading sort of the uh, contingent there along with Parks Frazier and, of course, Frank Reich in terms of instructing this quarterback on how to be a pro and how to do it the right way and giving him the necessary architecture – scheme, sequencing in the play calling, and personnel, most importantly, around him to thrive and grow. And the big concern I have with what happened in the last two games is he continued to get hit. He stayed healthy. That was impressive. That was the big concern I think we both had was his frame. Would he hold up? And he did. So that's a positive. But just the inability. Like, I, I was watching that Bucks game, Billy, and I was saying to myself, if they get down 6 nothing, it's over. When, you, <laughs> when it got to be 9 nothing. It was like, you know, I don't need to watch it. And I don't remember a Panthers game, Billy, where 
two touchdowns were basically taken off the board. I can't remember that ever happening. One with the DJ Chark. I mean, it wasn't a touchdown technically, but it should have been, or they would have been at the goal line. And then obviously they had a touchdown when they were down nine, nothing. And Terrace Marshall, who's barely played all year is lined up in the wrong spot. And it's an illegal formation and Blackshear's touchdowns called back. So these are the things that tend to happen when you have an interim head coach. We saw this a couple of years ago with Perry fuel. The team just kind of had a hard time staying operationally functional and, uh, you know, hats off to Chris table. I think he did a hell of a job, but, uh, but still, I mean, the two, two shutouts in a row, Billy, that's the first time since 2008, anybody in the league had been shut out twice in a row. That was the 08 Browns, by the way, remember that team? So yeah, yeah it's awful, awful. And I was at the last shutout the Panthers had before that O2 against Vic and the Falcons. And it was stunning to see it happen twice in a row, but, um, they need to make a lot of changes and it's not just the coach either. It's personnel, and that's a major problem offensively right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, defensively, you know, they've been kind of inconsistent here down the stretch. We spoke about their performance against the Falcons, um, you know, played really well. Uh, the conditions were certainly a factor in that game. Uh, but then two games where you kind of really struggled uh, against the Packers and Jags uh, and to end up the year, they finish on a pretty good note. I mean, you only allow a pretty, you know, a Bucks offense that's been finding its groove. And I know Baker was hurt, uh, but still, you hold them to nine points. I mean, you held the Falcons to nine points. So you know, your last two division games inside that stadium, you did not allow a touchdown. Uh, I think that means something. Um, and, and so overall, John, I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts here on the defense um yeah it seems like this organization is still pretty high on Evero as they should be um you know for me i just think personnel wise this defense is missing a lot uh, i mean the secondary was just a complete mess towards the end of the year i mean jc horn was playing one week and then the next week he wasn't playing um you know the guys behind him weren't very good like Shaq griffin didn't really show much um, you know, Henderson has obviously been a colossal disappointment. Um, and, and then just moving, looking at the linebackers, I mean, they've been pretty pedestrian all year. Uh, I know Deion Jones is trying to do his best, but I mean, he's, uh, you know, probably not a starting caliber linebacker. And then, you know, in the front, it's just Burns and Brown who have kind of really played with any type of consistency. So when I look at the issues defensively, I don't see issues coming from their scheme um you know i know evro is going through the process he got interviewed for the head coaching job i know atlanta requested him uh but he's going to be in demand as a defensive coordinator whether he's here or somewhere else um i just want to get your thoughts here on the you know last four games by this defensive unit yeah i thought the defense did a really good job all year i mean look you're you're given what you're given on the other side of the ball and you've got to make make the best you can out of it defensively. And if there's a couple of areas they need to get better at, obviously it's consistency against the run. And that's been something we've talked about for a long time here. I, I give Derek Brown a, a ton of credit. I mean, look, we were, I know I was at least kind of skeptical about that being the, the pick, the right pick. And I think the one thing you and I talked about during our first season doing this podcast was, you know, the fact that Brown, you know, 
overall was never going to be like an Aaron Donald type. And that was the people, that was the thing people needed to realize that this is a guy that's going to be a little more of a run stuffer, but he's impacted the passing game as well with the pressures and to exceed a hundred tackles at his position. You know, I know a lot of that's a byproduct of teams getting a lead on you and running and whatnot, but yeah, tremendous, just a tremendous, you know, player and a guy you're going to have to start thinking about how you're going to pay him, when you're going to pay him, the sooner, the better, obviously the longer you wait on that stuff, the more expensive it gets. Burns, you know, look, that's interesting because we've been back and forth on Brian and there were a couple first rounders on the table for him reportedly. Um, that's probably something you look back in hindsight and say, yeah, I should have done it. Would have done it. It speaks to the value of, of what how the league views Burns. And obviously he's earned that reputation with his film. But now you're in a situation where when he spoke with us after the season, um, I don't know if you saw this comment he brought up about, you know, feeling like... <laughs> He's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, paraphrasing here, with the status of his contract. And it's not that he didn't play hard, but there's always that thought in the back of your mind. I got nothing guaranteed to look forward to here with my money. And I thought that was a terrible omen in which to start the season. The fact that there was a hold in. He was there. He was participating. He was doing his job. But for that deal, either not to get done or some resolution to be, you know, come to a conclusion before that in terms of maybe dealing him away and getting the compensation you need, giving him a chance to thrive elsewhere. It was just a microcosm of just how bad their decision-making has been from a personnel side of late. Um, I think, you know, JC Horn, I thought he played very well against Tampa. It's just the health issue. He just continues to have terrible luck and a terrible time staying on the field. I thought Xavier Woods did a great job this year. Bell was up and down, and he was hurt a lot, so you had a lot of rotation there. The deployment of Jeremy Chin was interesting, and now he's got a fascinating you know, decision to make, and so does the team as he's coming up on that fifth-year option. I thought Luva was fantastic, as always, but you need more there. And we talked about it, Billy. I think you and I mentioned this in the preseason, the lack of depth at linebacker. And some of the other parts up front, it's a pretty static defensive front. They don't do a lot of stunts and movement. It's more about, you know, holding your edge, a lot of two gapping. And, you know, I didn't like what I saw from some of the other pieces on the defensive line. Although I think part of that was I think they had, um, God, who was the nose tackle they had preseason? They cut uh, Roquan, maybe. I forget his name. Um, yeah, I think he went to, he's from Kentucky, I think. Yeah. Uh, they they a had. Call? Yeah, it was McCall. Yeah, Mark on McCall. Sorry about that. Yeah, McCall, that was their only true real nose tackle. And that was interesting to see how they got away from that and let him go. Uh, I thought Deshaun Williams had some flashes at times. Tuttle was up and down. It's just really about that second level of the defense that has to make an impact. And you're right about guys like Bruger Hill, Jones. Um, these are guys that are not top-line starters. So you're in a position now where you're, you're doing a lot of things with Burns that he's never done before. Um, he's not just putting his hand in the dirt and in and, and a wide nine technique and getting after it. So there's an adjustment there, and that comes to the next point about, you know, we'll get to this, I'm sure. Guys, you want to lock up and, and what leverage you might have lost by not making the deal by now because I think they're in a tough situation with Burns and that he still thinks of himself and his representation thinks of him as a top-line guy. Obviously, we have opinions on that. The Panthers are going to have opinions on that. And you lost an opportunity reportedly to gain a lot of draft capital by giving him a fresh start and giving yourself what you need to move forward and build the team the right way. So 
it's it's a bit of a mess, but I still like some of the young guys they have. Yeah, I'm there with you too. I think that, and this just speaks to just organizational um, cohesiveness. I mean, you draft Jeremy Chin for a previous regime, and he is the perfect fit in Phil Snow's defense. Then you get rid of Matt Rule and Phil Snow. You keep chin in a new defense where he's probably not the best fit and the results kind of speak for themselves and again i'm not blaming uh evro for this at all i just think you know it's it's about organizational um structure and making sure there is one vision moving forward if evro excuse me if chin was not a good fit or if you didn't have the right number in mind for Brian Burns, then I don't see what the harm is in trading these players and recouping assets and finding players who do fit. Now, I would argue that Brian Burns is probably a fit in any defense in the NFL, and I still think he was good this year. But my my point about Burns and Chin are a little different in that um, Burns, it seems to be a financial situation that's uh, holding up um, you know his long-term future here. And with Chin, it's more schematic. But it's the same point I'm trying to make here um, and why I'm glad that they decided to fire the general manager and the head coach because they need to bring in a new GM and a new um, head coach and they need to be aligned and there's no, you know, discrepancies as far as, you know, player and fit and all this other stuff that goes on. If they aren't a fit, then you know what? Trade them. And it's not going to be the first player to be traded. I mean, you're not trading Jared out or reggie white in his prime here with all due respect you're training a very good player but just for the sake of this organization you have to be committed to one direction and that's why i'm you know happy they're going in this direction with a new gm a new head coach um we'll see how those guys are a lot of these guys um you know just at my first glance uh gm wise at least um yeah they seem to be a lot of cap or you know, cap and analytics individuals. Yep. Um, yeah, I really don't have much like thoughts on them, I'll be honest with you. And I guess um, you know, I, I don't know. It, that's Tepper's decision. I have no issue with uh these guys. It, it seems like the guy from Philadelphia, uh, even Schefter, uh, when he tweeted it, you know, he mentioned that the Panthers have been eyeing him for some time now. Um, you know, he uh, is the assistant general manager with the Eagles, which uh, I have zero problems plucking yeah. personnel guys from that organization. They seem to, you know, have consistently very high standards and they know how to operate from a player personnel perspective. Uh, but even then, there's a few guys here from the Ch- guy from the Chiefs, uh, the Saints cap guy, Kai Harley. Um, I don't know if I have all the names in front of me. Do you have the names, John? Yeah, I do. I've got uh, I, Nick Mateo from Baltimore is one of the names we talked about. He's uh, the VP of football ops there, and he's done a lot up there. And I, I think we, we have a great deal of respect, you and I, for what Baltimore has built for the past couple of decades, and that's a good place to start. And I know we get to the coaching stuff here. They're interviewing both of their – they've already interviewed, by the way, uh, both of their coordinators – up in Baltimore. So that could be a package deal. If you look at it that way, Dan Morgan, 
Um, you know, I've got mixed thoughts on that, but I like Dan a lot. Uh, the same for Samir Suleiman, who interviewed. Uh, Brandon Tillis from Kansas City. Um, he's been right there with Brett Veach and Andy Reid for, for and quite a while. And if I'm not mistaken, he, didn't he interview here in 2021? Yeah, I believe he did. And and I think Ed Dodds did too, uh, the guy from Indy, who's also on this list. And, you know, Brant is a, is a cap guy. So is Samir, as you know. I mean, a lot of these guys, you look down the list here. Yeah, Greenberg, Tillis, yep. Harley, they seem to be cap guys. Hallaby as well from uh, from Philly. Yeah, that's the uh, guy I was talking about, Hallaby. Yeah, he's he's a Harvard guy. I mean, this, these are, this is kind of where... Yeah, we talked to... There's a scout we used to talk to a lot, Billy, and I still chat with him from time to time, and he worked within the organization. And one thing he told me that stood out was nobody will probably want to work with Tepper truly unless they're kind of analytics-focused. Um, in that role and I think that that could be a signal of where they might be heading there but you know I'm keeping an open mind on this I'm trying not to be too you know like steadfast because I mean we saw last time they interviewed more guys than this and it's one lesson I've learned about getting too excited or too down about who they hire moving forward at least like you said they've hired a very reputable firm to help with this that was one of my concerns because last time around you know what the search firm was it was it was Marty Herney and David Tepper. Yeah, they did hire a search firm, right? Uh, yeah, they did this time around. Uh, a very good one. But I, last time around, I don't believe so. I, I think it was it was done all in house. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean th this it's it's being done the right way. It'll be interesting to see what lands first. I would assume I would think the head coach gets hired first, but you never know. And you want to make sure yeah. that everything, like you said, it needs to be in lockstep. You you. It doesn't need to be a package deal like I talked about with the guys from Baltimore, but you'd like that. Um, and, you know, I like Dan Morgan a lot. I do. I I don't know if he's going to be their choice, but I like that they're interviewing him. Um, I, I don't know how involved Samir Suleiman's been with some of the contracts that have been given out. Obviously, he's been the player negotiator there, salary cap management, but I'm, I'm glad to see him getting a chance to interview for this because – He's a hard worker. He's well-respected, and um, I don't know where they're going to go. He's been around the league for a long time, so it's a good list. I mean, these are all well-respected guys that have diverse backgrounds. Champ Kelly's the other guy, too, and he's done a hell of a job out there in Las Vegas, so um, he's being interviewed as well. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy list, and I'm sure there's going to be a couple more that get added in late. And maybe, yeah. I mean, Billy, here's the wild card. I mean, we don't know yet, but maybe they go just with the, the blockbuster move-ahead coach, GM. Because there's a guy from New England that keeps getting mentioned as a possibility, although I, I still think Atlanta might be leaning Belichick more than anybody. Yeah, I don't think um unfortunately I don't think him or Harbaugh are under consideration here. Um I know Rappaport this morning had hinted at it. Uh he had something that rolled about, you know, a couple of NFC South teams, but I wouldn't consider that anything that's imminent or substantial. And that that's the bigger question here. Guys like Jim or or Bill, um, or even Mike Vrabel, who I would love here. How would they? And we'll get into this discussion. I'm sure with head coaches. How would they? How would they view the ownership situation here? And would they be comfortable knowing what they know about what what Matt and Frank had to deal with? Um, and even Ron, would they want to risk having to deal with that here themselves with their credentials? Hey y'all, John Ellis here for Prize Picks, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, an easy and exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. 
Prize Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on Prize Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into 250 bucks with just a few taps. Prize Picks is simple to play. I can make my picks, submit my entries in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash roar and use code roar for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar for a first deposit of up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with price picks. I don't know how to feel about that. And I just, I don't think this owner and those two potential coaches could coexist in any sort of fashion. Um, I just I I don't see that working out. I mean, Robert Kraft and Dave Tepper are just two completely different men. Yeah, that have very different personalities and uh, behaviors. And I say that with all due respect. So I'm not going to uh, render judgment further. Um, I mean, I, you should talk to him for sure. Uh, but I'm I would, telling yeah. you right now. Yeah, I would. I, just, I would. I would because you gain a lot of insight from that, and I think it. You 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 got at least make an effort to to see if one of them will meet with you. But um, yeah, I, I we'll talk about all the candidates here in a minute. But I, I like there's some other names I think I would probably lean towards right now in terms of. And it's not about you know people are saying nah, I don't want to hire Vrabel because it's another AFC South coach who was fired. That's like saying Ohio State quarterbacks suck because of the helmet. I just that that doesn't interest me that narrative. But there is something to be said about maybe just simplifying this and hiring somebody that brings his own guys in. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a star name as was proven by D'Amico Ryans, who's now a division champion in his first year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't really have an issue with, uh, with any, again, I like those coaches a lot. I really do. I just worry about the, um, compatibility with this owner. Um, and that's that, a shame. That's, that's a shame too. It really is. That shouldn't even be an issue. The fact we're having to, the fact that we're having to consider that. You're exactly right, though. The fact that that's something we have to sit here and consider until he proves otherwise, which is going to take years, several years. It's, I mean, even next year, if they have one good season with a new head coach, you always got to worry about. Oh, well, they go. Let's say ten and seven, and the next year they start zero and five because teams will do that sometimes. Then it's is there going to be more impul- Is there going to be more impulsivity there? It's it's got to stop. And, and that, that's just my thing. I think Frank Reich was extremely transparent about the some of the day to day operations of this organization. Oh when, my god! <laughs> when he said, "You know, the meetings with Dave Tepper are very tough." Yeah, I, I mean, can you imagine those type of meetings occurring with? Belichick, Harbaugh, or Vrabel, like <laughs> Mondays after the that, game or whatever. It's ridiculous. That's why I'm nervous about those guys because I, I mean, I'm nervous about anyone, but I just don't think those guys would deal with him in that capacity. And given his very short temper, um, yeah, I'm not sure it would be a very um, clean fit. No, uh, you need a firewall between the owner and the coach, and that requires a couple layers. 
And that's yeah, why I think general manager and a VP of op, VP of football operation or yep. team president. I thought that could be one of these potential names we could just mention that maybe Dan Morgan gets the GM job. Maybe another one of these guys is, is in a higher role. And yet there needs to be a, a separation between church and state as we talk about. And that's certainly the case between the owner and the coach. This is not a situation where the new coach needs to be meeting with the owner every week. It's ridiculous. It doesn't need to happen. It's a distraction. It's it's way too much. And it can be like with Frank. Frank is a tough dude. Frank's been around this league a long time. And clearly he knows how to coach. You put him in this situation where you add that pressure element to it. You throw guys around him. He doesn't know. Look, he could have done a better job coaching this team. I don't, I don't say anything other than that. But yeah, you could see him aging by the week. It was awful. Yeah, and, and that's just like... You know, organizational structure, as you said, is important. And when you do hire one of these alpha type head coaches like Vrabel, Harbaugh, or Belichick, it's you're not going to get that type of organizational structure. It's just not going to happen because the owner is going to have direct meetings with them. Now, again, knock on wood, he could still have these type of meetings with any of these candidates. But my hope is that because he's going to be hiring a new general manager or VP of football ops, whatever, that the barrier will exist between, like you said, church and state um, head coach and general manager and owner. I hope it's like that type of tier. So we're not having the head coach going up to his press conference, speaking about his meetings with the owner every week. Um, You know, I just thought that was completely um, very abnormal. I'll just keep it at that. So, with that said, John, again, I have, you know me, th- th- I said the same thing last year. I, I really, you and I both wanted Sean Payton, but I made the same argument for against Payton in the fact that him and Tepper, I just never saw Cole working together. On top of that, you had the draft compensation as well, which is a yeah. different matter. Yeah. But Tepper and Sean Payton, like, I mean, He's the same type of coach as the guys I just named, Vrabel, um, Belichick, Harbaugh. He, he's a guy yep. that wants control, as he should. And it, it, it's just it's tough to arrange that marriage with uh, this type of owner. Like until, like you said, he proves otherwise. Um, you know, I, I I don't have an issue with an owner being involved. Um, you know, I don't want an owner that's just completely checked out and he doesn't really check in with his team. Um, you know, but. I think it's healthy for him to ask questions, but those questions should not be uh, directed towards a head coach. And I mean, we already went into all the issues with that article that Joe Person and Diana Rossini wrote yeah. about a month ago. I, you, shouldn't why... have a, you shouldn't have a head coach halfway through his first, not even halfway through his first season, basically still in the first semester of his first season with the team, yeah. having to field those type of questions. That should be a non-issue, no matter what your record is, especially when you got a rookie quarterback. Ride it out, fight through it, and and but you know, obviously there was a lot of stuff with the way this was constructed, and in hindsight, it was wasn't good. It, it was never going to work, no matter how much Tepper stayed out of it. But that just that was an extra layer of pressure and stress and bullshit that that the head coach had to deal with, and that can't keep happening. Yeah, I, again, John, I just I have a lot of just questions. Um... Yeah, about uh, the yeah about the if they, structure. If you start winning, those questions start disappearing. It's very fair to have them. I agree. 
right now I have no issue with what they're doing. I, I like these general manager candidates. They're like I yep. said, they're uh, salary cap analytics guys. I mean, this is who he should have hired in 2020, but should have fired Marty Herney and Ron Rivera in the same offseason. Went with the clean slate. He didn't do that. He hired Matt Rule with Marty Herney. Then he fired M Marty Herney. Then he hired Scott Fitter, who's more of a scout type. Yep. And now you're in this situation. You get a clean slate, head coach and GM. Um, and look, I've there's been some reporting from Garofolo who says that there's more interest in this job than he anticipated. Well, I, I guess that's encouraging to hear. Uh, I I thought there would be some. I think it's one of 32 jobs. New England just promoted Gerard Mayo today, so that's one less job. Um, I, again, I don't necessarily, I'll believe it until I see it with some of these playoff teams potentially firing their coaches. I don't think uh, Dallas will. I don't think um, uh, the other team, Tampa, will. I think those two coaches will probably see out another year. Um, now, let me just kind of get into some of these candidates because I do like some of these head coaching candidates that they have. I mean, Ben Johnson's a name that is certainly um on the hot list uh but for me uh, i'm i'm really intrigued with these two baltimore coordinators yeah mcdonald and munkin um you know munkin he's been a head coach he was a head coach at southern miss yep for a couple years uh you know spent time in a college game he was at oklahoma state uh before that he was a wide receivers coach in the nfl um but he's also been an offensive coordinator with tampa I remember those Fitzpatrick and Jameis uh, years. And yep. what I love about Todd Munkin, John, is that he is adaptable. I mean, he mm -hmm. played, he started off air raid concepts with the uh, Oklahoma State Sooners. They had Brandon Whedon as their quarterback, you know, Mike Gundy's system. And then he goes and implements a version of that with the Bucks, And then he goes to Georgia and runs their offense with Stetson Bennett and a strong running game, kind of really ground and pound. And then the evolvement of this Ravens offense where, um, you know, they had Greg Roman, but there's still the similar run concepts that play to Lamar Jackson's strengths, but he's also evolved the passing game to be modernized. So Lamar can really kind of use his strengths as a passer and it's culminated into an MVP season uh, for Lamar Jackson. So uh, right off the top, these two Baltimore guys intrigue me the most. I've already said on Twitter before I kind of took my little hiatus that, Mike McDonald is the best defensive coordinator in the NFL. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, I have zero issue inter interviewing defensive coordinators. I, I Like I said to you, like when Frank Reich got fired, you have to hire the best head coach. You don't need to find the best offensive coordinator or quarterback guru. So for me, Munkin and McDonald are certainly intriguing. McDonald seems to be in high demand, so he's probably going to have options. But I think Munkin, uh, realistically... I just want to start with these two Ravens guys and we'll get into some of the other names. Um, I mean, he certainly is someone that I would have at the top of my list. Yeah, I love Todd Munkin. I do. Uh, he he also spent time with Cleveland uh, and and that offense was really prolific. I think Odell was there at the time and, and they had some good moments there. And of course, he was in Georgia for a while and you mentioned Stetson Bennett. And, and I love what you said about adaptability. I think that's one thing that was tough about watching this offseason and, and this first leg of the season fall apart was Frank had a certain way he wanted to do things and he's being paired once again you talk about continuity with with Thomas Brown who I, I respect both those guys but they have almost polar opposite ideas on how to structure an offense and 
you had to blend those ideas together and, and it looked like a mess. You need one voice, one vision, one philosophy for what this offense is going to be, what they're going to look like, and you have to be good enough structurally and in terms of your architecture and your design of your offense to overcome some of the deficiencies you have in terms of injuries because everybody has injuries and ain't just Carolina. And we'll talk personnel later, but you have to make better use of what you have on the field in terms of your skill players. And they did not do a good job of that this year. And I think a lot of it was the fact the personnel, first of all, wasn't great, but with what they had, they could have done a hell of a lot better job adapting situationally to who they were facing and having better designs offensively, not only in the pass game, but in the run game. And uh, Munkin is a guy that's been around. I mean, they've got a great offense this year. They have totally to change their vision in their passing game. But as you mentioned, he he's not stubborn enough to where he wouldn't take, you know, some of the things that worked under Greg Roman that worked for Lamar and keep them in. It's one of the things I loved about what Carolina did for years with Cam Newton. Um, in the early days, the offense had no problem putting up yards and points because they were able to put together with Chudzinski and then later with Shula, say what you want about either one of those guys, but they did a good Norv job. Too. Norv too. Norv as well, yes. Exactly. All of them were able to pull concepts from other stops along the way or other places or past regimes and blend them into what was happening here. You got a brand new quarterback in Bryce Young. It's hard to know what's best for him, but what they put out this year is the polar opposite of what's best for anybody. So Munkin would be great. And McDonald, you mentioned him. Yeah, he's he spent that time with Michigan with Harbaugh. And obviously that's an NFL type of mindset with that operation up there and you know the work he's done in baltimore has been great and i agree with you we talked about this a couple weeks ago you and i it's not about hiring the best quarterback whisperer the best quarterback guru it's about hiring a guy that's got you know the philosophical edge that's got the strategic edge that's got great communication skills and the ability to lead a group of men in the locker room and i think both these guys are well equipped to do it and plus they're they're savants in their field and when it comes to design yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Munkin, that humility is just, it stands out to me because there's so many coaches in this day and age, John, and I mean, you've seen it, you've covered the league and you don't just, you hear them and they're so rigid in their philosophy. They're not willing to be humble enough to change their approach. And that's just such a frustrating part about, you know, watching football at times. It's it's like this thing isn't working. So like, you know, figure out a way to fix it, adjust. People always say adjustments, adjustments, adjustments. It's the biggest like phrase I've heard from like casual fans. So I'm not saying anyone here is casual. I'm just saying halftime adjustments. You know, how do you adjust after the bye week or after this week when you lost like by 30 points? I feel like with Munkin and in the different stops that he's been, he's been humble enough that he doesn't have like a particular like philosophy on his offensive outlook. He places strengths of his uh, players and personnel. And I think that, um, you know, that's, that's very important. And, and like I said, he does have head coaching experience. Like he's led a group of men granted it was in college, like, um, you know, a while ago, but I, I still think that's relevant. Um, going to some of the other names here, I, I want to start kind of like with this other contingent of these young guys but you know Slowick, Callahan, Canales, Ben Johnson, uh Frank Smith as well. You know, you know the Shanahan type McVay guys like a uh Slowick and Canales um and Frank Smith. 
Um, I'll leave them in a separate section. But one guy that's kind of really impressed me this year has been a uh, the work that Brian Callahan has done with the Bengals. Um, you know, given you know they had uh, Joe Burrow uh, was kind of coming back from a injury at the beginning of the year, it didn't really look right, and then you know what they were able to accomplish with uh, Jake Browning, a, a guy that's undrafted. He's been uh, different stops around the league, and maybe Jake Browning is really good. I don't know. I, I can't really speak to that. Um, but just the job that he and Zach Taylor did in Cincinnati, I think is important. And Callahan is obviously the son uh, of Bill Callahan, the uh, respected offensive line coach. And I think he worked with Peyton Manning in Denver, I believe too. So he has uh, plenty of NFL experience. He has a large network because of his dad and just being in the league for a long time. So, uh, Callahan definitely stand. I mean, Ben Johnson, we've been over him for, you know, we went through him last year, certainly a, an impressive offense in Detroit. Uh, you know, but you know, the two younger guys here, Slowick and Frank Smith, uh, you know, they stand out and even Canales, the first year offensive coordinator. Um, I think Canales has done a really good job, um, in buff or excuse me, in Tampa with, uh, Baker, uh, Mayfield and those weapons, but, uh, for me, among those guys, I mean, certainly, like I said, Johnson's going to be in demand. We know that there's been reports about $15 million a year offer. Uh, but I think a guy that's a little underrated that probably isn't getting as much um, notoriety is Callahan. But I do want to hear from you, John, and anyone that list between Johnson, Sloick, Callahan, Smith, and Canales stand out to you? I think they've all done a really good job where they are. And I think they're all highly qualified. The work that Sloick has done so far that the design of that offense and the way they operate is so clean and coming into the Houston season, nobody had expectations nearly this high for the Texans offense or Stroud. And it hasn't just been CJ, although he's been terrific, man. I, he's just sort of throws he made in that indie game were amazing, but they give you answers with that offense as a quarterback and they give you options and they're committed to the run game. The offensive line, they have Tunsil, but they have moving parts around him on that line. And, you know, Nico Collins is tremendous and was thought of so, I think, coming into the season, but not nearly as much as they've given him the opportunity to be this year. And they've allowed other guys like Noah Brown to shine. Uh, obviously, Tank Dell was a great pickup. But, yeah, I love the way that offense is designed. They stress you horizontally horizontally and vertically. And it's, it's fun to watch. Now, is he ready to be a head coach? I don't know. We're going to find that out. But – it's not a bad place to start. I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. I mean, you feel bad about <laughs> <laughs> feel bad about losing that on CJ Stroud. Go to the man who helped CJ Stroud become one of the best quarterbacks in his conference right now. So yeah, it's not even to Stroud. Him. I mean, the other players like Nico have taken a huge leap. Yes, yes, it's been fun to watch. It really has. I mean, it's been hard to watch covering the Panthers because you want that here, but. Maybe they can maybe they bring him in and it works that way. Canales, I think he's done a nice job too. I mean, look, I don't know if I'm totally sold on him yet, but I hear a lot of great things about the way he relates to his players. And obviously he's done a great job with Baker Mayfield this year, who was kind of thought of as a guy that was left for dead. And you saw he flashed a little bit last year with McVay, but those are elite level guys that can take a guy like Mayfield and work the offense to where they can have sort of a career season as Baker had. You look at Mayfield's stats compared to uh to Brady's last year they're almost identical so they'll take that any day I think he's a good coach and Callahan I think you're exactly right I mean we'll get to Ben Johnson in a minute because he's still very high on my list but I mentioned Callahan early in this process and 
I, I think right when I said it on the air, I saw Mike K tweeted about it too, that uh, there there's some similarities between what Joe Burrow looked like and does and feels like as a quarterback and the way Bryce Young plays. There was a lot of comps made. I think that was one of the things that Matt Bowen had told us on the podcast that he saw a lot of Burrow traits within Young's game and who's worked closer with Joe Burrow than Brian Callahan the last few years. So I think that's an excellent guy to to interview. You mentioned the connection. His dad is Bill Callahan, and, and there's probably not a better offensive line coach on the planet other than Jeff Stoutland than Bill Callahan. And you certainly glean a lot from that as a guy who's been around him all your professional and personal life. Uh, I mean, maybe you could even bring find a way to bring Bill Callahan down here. It would be amazing. But um, he's also, like you said, he's been a quarterback coach around Lee Callahan. He coached uh, on the, the Broncos staff. In a, in a similar capacity with John Fox and Peyton Manning was there at the time. Yep. And he was also with uh, Stafford for a couple of years and, and helped coach him along when he was still in Detroit. So yeah, he's been around and the job he's done with Burrow and, and God, the, the offense, I know Zach's still very much involved in, in the play design and play calling there, but you know, Callahan, what they've done with Jake Browning this year, that's a really positive sign. Now, man, we'll get to personnel in a minute, but they've, you look at, Every great quarterback in the league right now, uh, maybe with the exception of Mahomes, they they seem to have guys on the perimeter that can get open and you can scheme them open. And that's the next big step, whoever they bring in as head coach. But certainly those are some good names to start out with. I, I like all those guys, really. Uh, it just depends on uh, which direction you want to go there. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I really don't have any preferences uh, at this moment with the head coaching uh, among those guys, at least I like all of them in their own respect. I mean, Canales with the Seattle job being open, I think he's going to be uh, linked there uh, because, you know, he spent a lot of years working under Pete Carroll and, you know, that front office and he has, you know, relationship with, you know, some of those players still on offense. And, and look, we don't know the job status of Todd Bowles. I, I remain, I will be very surprised if, you know, Tampa um, fires him after what he did this year. But if yep. they do, that's, Something they've done in the past, um, you know, 2015, they fired Lovey Smith and promoted their offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter. So in, in hopes of maybe not losing him, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they did that. But um, I think if Todd Bowles wins a playoff game, which at this point, I'd probably think the, if Baker's healthy, I think the Bucks will beat the Eagles because I'm telling you, uh, they're reeling. Um, and the Eagle, you mentioned uh, you probably might have gotten to this guy already or may do it, but I know Brian Johnson's on their list. And I, I don't know where I'm at with Brian Johnson right now because their offense seems to be really struggling yeah, right that's... now. I, I'm not, I, I think he's a good coach yeah. and he's well-respected. I just, I'd probably take a pass on that, but they're going to talk to him. It looks like. Yeah, I would. Um, Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I would also pass on that. I wasn't I just, aware. It, it, going back to the Eagles tree, going back to the Sirianni type of style of I, I, all of it. I, it's not even about Brian Johnson personally. It's just anything Eagles offense related. I don't know if it's a good fit for what we got right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've really regressed. Uh, okay. Um, looking at some of these other two other names that I want to bring up here that um, are on the requested list: uh, Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn. Two guys that are pretty similar in the fact that they've been head coaches before. Uh, you know, Quinn. Obviously, we know a lot about uh, because of his time here in the NFC South. Uh, the same with Raheem Morris, although that was a long time ago. Uh, but he was also the interim head coach of the Falcons after they dismissed Dan Quinn. So those two are kind of linked together. Um, 
look, I, I don't get the sense that this that's going to be a direction they go in. If they do hire a defensive coach, I think McDonald will probably be at the top of their list. Um, but I can't really deny the fact that among those two, Quinn and Morris, Morris has done a much more impressive job uh, this past year getting a defense uh, that I was questioning at the beginning of the year due to their talent. Yeah. And outside of Aaron Donald, who let, let's be honest, Aaron Donald is going to be in the hall, hall of fame, but he did not have a typical Aaron Donald season. I uh, was still very good, but not the hall of fame freak that we've seen for the past um, eight, nine years. Uh, I think the work that he's done uh, with that defense is exemplary. So any thoughts on Quinn or Raheem Morris? Yeah, I and the only reluctance I have about Dan Quinn, I I think he's a great coach. I love his energy, and I, I actually, you look back at what he did in Atlanta. I I know they had the collapse in the Super Bowl, but the fact that what what showed me a lot about Dan Quinn and the the way the team respects him, and there you have know, the decline with their defense at one point when he got fired, the offense had some struggles, but the year after they lost the Super Bowl, they got back to the playoffs and they won a playoff game. And in the way they lost at Super Bowl, usually there's a huge hangover effect with that. And then they go into Philly, and they were one Julio Jones fade a little high and out of his reach away from advancing back to the title game again. So I like Dan Quinn a lot. I just, between the two, I agree. I think Morris has gotten the most out of the least in this league of any coordinator I can think of. And, you know, you got Aaron Donald, but you've got a lot of guys that we never talked about or even heard of in that starting lineup. I, I thought it was an afterthought that they would not only struggle defensively mightily, but they'd be lucky to win four or five games. And I think McVay's done a hell of a job. But Raheem Morris, the one thing that's interesting about him, remember he was the head coach of Tampa for a short time. He had Josh Freeman. They won 10 games that year. He's coached both sides of the ball. He's been a coordinator on offense. He's coached wide receivers. Uh, he was actually, I think, a part of Dan Quinn's staff in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was, yeah. And he's also been very good coaching defense. So I like that element. I like a guy who comes in, knows how to move around a little bit, knows his role as the head coach. Um, he's extremely well-respected. Uh, players love him. They play hard for him. And I think he'd be a tremendous hire. I like him. Um, I do want to kind of close out here. Frank Smith's been a guy that's been connected in some way. Um, you know, he's on Mike McDaniel's staff in uh, Miami, and like we said about Slowick, a very similar offense. Obviously, we don't have the personnel to match it, but if you are talking about bringing in that type of offense into Carolina, then I, I think you know Frank Smith and um, Slowick are certainly two guys. I really don't have any opinion on Frank Smith. I just know that you know he's part of that staff down there in uh, in South Beach, and you know, Mike McDaniel is kind of the as much as he's the architect, I'm sure he solicits a lot of input. I only watched one episode of the in-season hard knocks, so I'll go back and kind of finish up that uh, series because they are following the Dolphins. If there's anything that I learned from Frank Smith in that, I'll um, be sure to pass it on. But you know, in the first episode, I didn't really see him that much. It was more mainly on um, you know, some of their bigger name guys. But uh, but yeah, I don't really have an opinion on him. Like I said, John, you and I were pretty. Uh, uh, we're not too uh, kind of rigid in our beliefs with these head coaching and general manager searches. These, as much as you and I like to dog the organization, they do have more information than us oh, yeah. regarding these individuals. Um, it's just 
maybe their choices haven't been great the past couple of years. Yeah, well, and they're doing it in a more, like you said, they're they're resetting everything at once now. And so I'm giving ownership the benefit of the doubt and that, you know what, it's been an ugly season. It's been a really hard few years here covering this team, you and I, but I think um, it it's set up nicely. I like Frank Smith. I mean, look, I don't know much about him. I do know he's been around the league for a while in a number of capacities. He's coached tight ends. He's been a run game coordinator. And he's part of that install with uh, with Miami. And there was a clip of him uh, that's sort of been circulated here about he was asked about some of the vacancies and his name being connected. And he got kind of emotional about it. He obviously would be a guy that would would love to be a head coach, but so would everybody else. So I think, you know, our good buddy Josh Norris had mentioned Frank's name as a possibility and you know, a guy that he sees as the kind of dark horse candidate that could emerge here. But then you've got these other big names that continue to circulate. And I, I think in order of possibility, and I think they're all three pretty remote. I mean, it could happen. So, I mean, I, I try not to be too definitive here. I don't think Harbaugh will come here. And I don't think the Panthers seem to be too interested in Jim Harbaugh. I don't even know if he's coming anywhere yet, but it seems to be that's what's going to happen. Um, you could cross Pete Carroll off that list. He's not going to work here. I don't think, um, Somebody mentioned yeah, he would be perfect for like an EVP role. Nah, he would be, yeah. He'd be like great. an executive vice president. He could be like the buffer between the GM and the owner. Right. He'd be terrific. He and he's been a but, he's been a basically de facto GM for a while, so he knows evaluation. But it and seems I think, like he's gonna stay in Seattle. Yeah, I think I think he'd rather just stay there at home if he's gonna do that and work with John up there. But I think uh you know, I I'm not gonna rule out Belichick, but again, that that's a interesting dynamic and i'm gonna have to really see that play out before i give it any credence and then obviously with um with mike vrabel i i I would love to have mike vrabel here coaching this team i think very highly of him i think he'd be tremendous but i don't know if that's the dynamic they're going to go for right now so that's kind of where i'm at on that um we've got some mailbag questions you want to answer a few of these yeah, let's uh let's go for it. Tap into it here just as we get to it. I want to remind you we're brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Go to PrizePicks.com and find out much more about how to sign up for uh, everything you need with PrizePicks.com. So I'll throw this out to you. Um, this is from Daniel Lacey. Do you think Tepper is still stuck on the whole offensive guru type for head coach, or would guys like McDonald or Vrabel be legitimately in the running? I know we covered some of that, but your thoughts on what you think Tepper's view is on this? I think personally Tepper's view is that he wants the young offensive guy. I think he wanted it last year. He kind of settled for Frank Reich. I hate to say settled, but it, I just think that's the truth based on my own um, opinion on how the reporting has uh, kind of manifested itself. But yeah, like I said, John, I would love Mike McDonald. I would love Mike Vrabel. Um, McDonald, I think, could work in this organization. Vrabel, I just have a lot of questions about his compatibility with this owner. Um, you know, there was an article again that Diana Rossini did with one of the Titans beat writers at the Athletic that kind of went into, um, you know, some of the fallout between Tennessee and uh, Mike Vrabel. And again, Vrabel is in that Sean Payton, Bill Belichick type tier where, you know, he is. I mean, he was an excellent player. He's had success as a coach, um, so he's going to be very opinionated. And um, I, I just. I, I don't know. I just, I don't see that kind of marriage working out here in Carolina, uh, but McDonald, I would love, I've said it already. Both Baltimore coordinators appeal to me. Okay, cool. I, I agree with you there. Uh, this is from Aaron Brown. 
Why does it seem like Carolina prioritizes hiring the coach over GM? Shouldn't it be a mutual hire or GM first? The only time the coach should be priority over the GM is if they're going after Harbaugh, unless I'm overthinking it. Uh, but yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't know if I have too much of an issue with that. Um, certainly, I would, I would personally prefer the general manager be hired first. And um, according to league rules, I do think the general manager will be hired first, just because. Um, you can't really hire one of these coordinators until their season is officially done, but you can hire um, someone within these front offices uh, before um, their season's over. So if you hired someone from like the Chiefs or uh, the Cowboys or wherever, you can they could be hired immediately if they're a general manager. Uh, but as far as like if you're trying to hire like a poach a coach from those staffs, you can until the season's over. So yeah. Um, I don't really get too caught up in that, and I don't really have too much of an issue with just the timeline either. I mean, I'd rather them get it right than them just rushing to hire someone. Yeah, kind of rapid fire here from Captain Hype. <laughs> Some would call me that with Cam Newton over the years, but I'll digress. In your opinion, will the new GM or head coach matter if Tepper continues to be as hands-on? I think we can both agree it won't matter. Uh, he needs to be less hands-on. Um, here's another one that's interesting. Uh, but the do do do. This is from CP CRPW13. I'm sorry. Which head coaching candidate would be the best match for Bryce? Now, Billy, I know you and I talked about don't go down the trap of hiring a quarterback whisperer. Let's say they potentially do. Which of these offensive coaches do you think would be the best for Bryce's development if you have one right now in mind? Um, I would say top three, Munkin, Johnson, and uh, Callahan. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I like it. Um, we already covered the Munkin thing. There was a question here from Jason Green on that. And we both feel pretty good about that. Uh, a couple more here. Do you think, um, let's see here, your opinion on re-signing Burns, we covered that. Uh, we both feel that it's kind of an in-between situation right now. Um, and this is from Mike Goldston, one of our favorites out there. It seems like as more coaching openings happen, it may be harder for the Panthers to get a top coach. What do you think? I just I don't really see that being the case. I mean, New England just hired a coach today, so that's one less job. Um, I again I don't really see that being an issue here. Uh, but again, I think the issues with this job are questions that the owner has to ask. I don't think it has to deal with anything else. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's it for the mailbag. I think everything else we pretty much covered. I mean, there's some questions in here, and thanks to Reese and Oren and others and and Chris Rash and. King Lemur. I mean, a lot of questions this week, and they were good questions, but I think we pretty much covered uh, everything. Here's one more from JC. Uh, one thing I've seen is that the cap space Carolina is set to go into the offseason with, but that said, is T. Higgins a realistic option? Um, I Personally, I think he is. I, I think he'd be a good fit, but I, I got to look at the cap a little closer here. And um, they, yeah. need something, they need something out there that can separate. I don't know if he's the best separator in the league. But they, there's a real problem here with guys getting stuck on coverage way too much. Yeah, I have to dig deeper into the free agency wide receiver pool. I mean, certainly when, when you talk about free agent wide receivers, everyone's going to point to T. Higgins. Um, I don't know. I have to think deeper yeah, about that yeah. one. It's it's not as easy as saying, is he a good fit? Yeah, I mean, everyone, that's an upgrade over <laughs> this unit is a good fit. It's anybody just, who's younger than 33, they can catch a hundred balls, right? <laughs> yeah. Financial considerations and other things. 
And I think, you know, we'll, we'll have the discussion too down the road and we're going to do a lot of these pods in the off season, you know, probably get back on our weekly rotation here. I think fans want that and we want it too. So in the coming weeks, I think we'll know more about the head coach, the GM, and then we're going to do a deep dive into free agency as we always do. We, we take a lot of pride in that in the off season being here for you guys. So, um, I mean, that's, that's all I've got, Billy. It's been fun catching up and there's a lot to track here. I think the next time we talk next week, there's, there'll be some probably more definitive answers on where they're heading. Yeah. Uh, the commanders I saw had it. They're doing final interviews for their GM role. Um, they have two final guys. So I think teams are probably going to kind of expedite the GM interviews by next week. So we might have a GM by then and some finalists for the head coach as well. So yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. Thanks for listening to the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. We'll talk to you next week with hopefully more information. See y'all later. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.